Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. We worship together at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, both in person and online at youtube.com slash area10church. Kid-friendly programming is also available at the same time just down the street at 2810 at Community Gathering Place. We hope to see you at the Bird Theater soon. Now, on to this week's message. So I benefited from that sort of self-help, you can do it, here's the way to be better in your world kind of stuff that's out there, and it's not all bad. But I think that there's something missing in all of that stuff. Uh, There's a whole industry around it, there's a whole culture around it in in our world, but I I think something is missing. And, And I say that as a follower of Jesus, because when I look throughout history at followers of Jesus and what they did, they don't seem very invested in the four hour work week. Like, they don't seem very invested in raising better kids or optimizing or being efficient or making the most of their time and getting their money to work for them and developing streams of passive income and all of these things. When I look at followers of Jesus, historically, they're doing things like getting martyred, like fasting for 100 days in the city of Rome and using the money they would have spent on food to give to their neighbors who were poor and who were hungry. Like, that's pretty cool. I I see Christians historically doing things like in the Roman Empire, if you didn't want a child, you would discard the child after birth. You would discard the child on a trash heap. And I see Christians going to those trash heaps, grabbing the children and raising them as their own. Um, things like that throughout history that Christians have been doing. And it makes me think that I think the self-help, improvement, optimization, uh, efficiency thing that we do in our culture, I don't think Christians historically have had much use for that kind of stuff. Like, I just don't think they've really gotten on that train and made that stuff uh, a, a a big deal. And I find that stuff to be really challenging to me. What if the best way to live your life will not be found by trying to live your best life. Like, what if that is a fool's errand? What if that, there's nothing really there at the end of that road? What if the best way to live actually involves dying? Amen. And this is something that Jesus teaches, and it's a little hard for us to get our, our heads around and our minds around. What if the best way to live is not what we've been told and sold? What if the best way to live is not seize the day, boys, carpe diem. What if that's not the best way to live? What if the best way is not to optimize and maximize? Um, what if the best way involves death? And that, that's a weird thing to us because we, we don't like to think about death. We don't like to talk about it. We rarely see it or focus on it in 2022. Maybe over the past couple of years, some things have brought death a little more front and center for us than the way that it wasn't before. Maybe COVID has done that, and we've lost people that we know and love, and we've walked through the pain of that, but generally, we don't see death up close. Uh, Someone else takes care of that. Unless you work in a morgue, you probably don't see people die. Like That is often removed from us uh, in our our modern culture, And, and so we almost don't think about it and don't acknowledge it, that it's real, unless Betty White dies, and then we're like, oh, I guess if she died, anybody could die. We're all not safe, you know, which we should have known before that that's the case, right? So, so this is where we're at. We don't, we don't see death, and we don't talk about it, but Jesus teaches that it, death is actually a very important part of life, and there's something very valuable that we need to look at there and listen to. Uh, in this series, we've been talking about 
an island of sanity and, and sort of a sea of crazy. And so when the world is going nuts around us, how do we keep our heads on straight as the people of God? How can we dial into some, some really some ancient practices that Christians have always used to keep their heads on straight when everything's going crazy? Because I know we like to believe that it's crazier now than it's ever been, but it isn't, right? It's always, there, there have always been periods. You know, if you lived in Nazi Germany in the 30s, that was pretty crazy. If you lived in when the Mongols were invading China, that was pretty crazy. If you lived during the Spanish Inquisition, that was pretty crazy. Like the, throughout history, there have been famines and, and there have been plagues and there have been wars and there have been violence and darkness and hard things people have had to put up with throughout history. In, in all places and all times, there's been some tough stuff. And so the things I'm gonna tell you about these four practices, I would say in some ways they have been battle-tested. I'm not going to give you the latest, greatest thing that we just figured out last week, and here it is. I just want to give you some practices that followers of Jesus have been practicing for a couple thousand years, and they have used these practices to navigate and manage the time that they are living in, and they've worked in those periods of time and in those places, and I think it can work for us here and now. Um, so we gave you prayer uh, that Topher talked about last week, and we gave you reading the Scripture, just regular Scripture reading and regular praying, communication with God, that, that those things can help center us on what is eternal, what is true, what is not just the latest thing that's hot right now, but it really helps ground us and root us in something deeper than the moment that we find ourselves in. And let me give you another one today. Luke chapter 9, Jesus says this. I want to kind of walk into this conversation Jesus has with his disciples, and he gives us a, a key here about dying that I think really can inform how we live even now in, in, in these times. Luke chapter 9, verse 18 says this. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. Does anyone find that sentence contradictory? I do. I'm like, that's a little odd. Okay. And he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say I am? And Peter answers, the Christ of God. So he's praying at some point he's alone, and at some point his disciples are with him. They come to him, and Jesus says, what's the word on the street about me? And, and, and they answer, well, some people think you're John the Baptist, some people think you're this prophet, whatever. And Jesus says, that's fine what everybody says, but you guys are my closest followers. Who do you say I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ the, the, of God. You are um, the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God, all of this. That's who, that's who I think you are. And, and, and Jesus, you know, likes that answer. Uh, that, that's good. And, and right in that moment, he could have said, oh, yes, you got it right. I am the son of God. Um, I, am, I am the savior you've been waiting for. I am the hope and change you've been desiring, you know, that kind of thing. He could have said any of that, and you all should bow down and worship me. And uh, listen to what he actually says in verse 21. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So first of all, he's slow playing his PR because if the word gets out that he is God or claims to be God, they're going to want to kill him. And Jesus knows this. You don't, in the ancient world, in the first century Judaism, you don't walk around claiming to be God without a couple people starting to pick up some rocks to throw them at you. And so he knows this is coming. He will die for this. And he says, yeah, this is who I am. You guys understand it. Don't tell anybody. Like, let's go slow with that. 
So he's controlling his PR because Jesus knows he's going to die at a certain time in a certain way, and he's, and he's actually, in some ways, orchestrating his own death and, and working towards that moment. So he tells him to, to keep quiet about it, and then he says, this is what's going to have to happen. The Son of Man's going to be the chief priests and scribes. These religious leaders are going to hate me, uh, and then I'm going to get killed, and then I'm going to rise from the dead. Now, if you're one of Jesus' closest followers, that's a little bit unsettling news to hear. Like, you're following this dude around. You give up everything to be with this guy. He's your guy. He's the leader. He's the revolutionary. We will follow you to the death. And he says, I'm going to die by the religious leaders, and then I'm going to come back from the dead. That is not what they expected to hear. That's not what any of us would have expected to hear. It's like, what? I thought you're going to be king. Aren't you going to be like ruler? It's going to be hard for you to be ruler if you're dead. Why are you telling us like, that you're going to die? We thought the revolution is coming and we're leading it and we're going to be like your foot soldiers and we're going to be like, you're going to be the king and we'll be princes in your kingdom and we're going to be in charge and this is going to be awesome and then we're going to kick out the Romans and Israel's going to be great again and all of these things they think is going to happen. And Jesus says, nope, uh, I'm going to be killed and then I'm going to come back from the dead. And then he says this to them. And I would say he says it to all of us, even generations, millennia later. He says this, 923. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. I think this is one of the most challenging things Jesus ever said. If you want to be on his team, if you want to be his disciple, his, a, a learner, and his apprentice, if you want to follow after him, if you want to walk in his footsteps, anyone who wants to do this, not just some people, but anyone who wants to do this, this is what you have to do. Die to yourself. Deny yourself. Take up a cross, which is, you know, we, 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 we say things like, oh, that's my cross I have to carry, or that's my, you know, like it's a burden, but... In that culture, a cross is literally a Roman execution instrument. So take up your death chamber, take up this thing, and, and follow me. This is what Jesus says. If you're going to be his disciple, um, he, he, he says the, the way, the way to, of Jesus, you're going to follow after him. It's not the way of being rich. It's not the way of being successful. It's not the way of personal fulfillment. It's not the way of following all your dreams and passions. Um, it's not the way of, let me just have a middle-class life with great children. Um, Jesus says, the way is, you deny yourself, self-denial, you kill something on the inside, you ki- kill off something inside yourself, and you take up a cross. This, is, this was radically countercultural when he said it, and I think it's radically countercultural now. Because, yeah, we're wealthier than they were in the first century, but people back then know what wealth is. They know what it's like when people have a house on the hills. They know what it's like that some people are living the good life and some people aren't. aren't. And, and Jesus is not, and God is not against nice things. He's against making them ultimate things and, and, and worshiping uh, the thing instead of the, the creator. Now, take up your cross, deny yourself, to follow Jesus, from a self-help perspective, that's maybe some of the worst advice in history, right? He's not giving you the four-hour work week. This is not a life hack about how to be successful as you just die to yourself. Um, No one is going to put up a statue if they put up new statues on Monument Avenue. No one is putting up a Jesus statue with this quote on, on the pedestal, take up your cross, deny yourself. Nobody wants that. Nobody's going to sign up for that program. 
But what if, what if that really is the way? What if that really is the way? And what would it look like to take him seriously when he says it and really figure out what it means and try to live that way in the midst of the culture that we live in? So let me give you a couple implications of what I I think it means of where, where he's going. Number one, dying to self means you set aside your sins. There's a lot of explanations about what's wrong with the world. Lack of education, poverty, lack of access, ignorance, apathy, all these things. These are problems in the world. The Christian understanding, the Christian worldview says the problem in the world is sin. That you and I do wrong. We do bad and, 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 we, and we choose evil. And evil is a real thing, and we believe that humans choose it, and that evil is not just a thing out there of those people in that country and that people group and that person in my class or at work or whatever. It's not just evil out there, it's evil in here, in us. Alexander Solzhenitsyn said the line of good and evil runs right through the human heart, and we believe that. It is, it is in us, and there's something we need to deal with there. Now, the reason why we sin is kind of complicated. Uh, on, on the one hand, and we'll talk about this more next month, on the one hand, Satan is real, and Satan lies to the culture, and it influences the culture and the things that we believe, the messaging that we receive. Satan uh, lies to us that way. And then we have passions and desires in us that uh, go along with those lies, and we start acting out on those things. And then over time, when we sin, and we, we, follow, we believe the lies, and we sin, and we follow that stuff, uh, we create broken and corrupt systems that we all have to live in, and we start objectifying people and using people and all that kind of stuff, like all of that sort of plays out. So we sin personally, and it creates um, group problems for everyone, and we all grow up living in a system where we're all sort of drinking from a poisoned well, like this is where we get the water, but it's poisoned. So part of denying ourself and death to self that Jesus is talking about is laying down those sins, is saying, I'm not going to keep doing that. And that is not easy. I'm not going to say it like it's easy. It is an ongoing struggle. Think about sins we struggle with, gossip. If we gossip about another person, we are burning the relationship with that person, whether we realize it in the moment or not. But there's something about gossip that is uh, addictive or enjoyable. I think we would say juicy gossip, right? Why, why is it juicy? Oh, it's because you, there's something about it you can really sink your teeth into it and really get into. And if it wasn't on some level enjoyable, we just wouldn't do it. But it, but it damages relationships, right? When we, when we gossip, it, it can be addictive and it gives us a sense of superiority. Um, pornography is a short-term dopamine rush. It is a, it is a, is a chemical rush of, of this, this moment of enjoyment, and we go, oh, I, I like this, I like to look at this. Um, and, and we don't necessarily recognize the long-term detriment. We don't recognize when we give into that how that damages intimacy, with us and real people in the real world and it, how it changes the way we look at people. We don't, we don't see that in the moment. We just see that um, it potentially makes me feel less alone for a moment or it, or it helps me numb pain that I have in this moment. Um, when we overeat, when we eat too much food, um, we do it because it tastes great. And if it tastes great, more of it can taste greater, right? Until you've if ever had that moment of, okay, that was too much ice cream. Like I've gone too far and now I feel terrible, 
right? That's possible as well. But the reason we, we eat and then really overeat is because it's enjoyable to us. And the reason it is a sin is because it starts to wreck us. First, it will wreck us physically by, by doing it over the long term. And then that will have bad effects on our spiritual and mental and emotional health as well. And so the way forward from Jesus is practice self-denial, dying to yourself. Just because you want it doesn't mean you should have it. Just because it can pass before your eyes doesn't mean you should let it. Being a disciple involves discipline. And that's the part that's really hard for all of us. And I understand that. Discipline can seem unpleasant. In fact, listen to what the author of Hebrews says. I love this passage, Hebrews chapter 12. The author talks about discipline. He says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, talking about Jesus, so that you may not grow weary or or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons, and say sons and daughters, right? For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. We could get into parenting later on this, okay? Like, this isn't necessarily a text about whether you should spank your kids or not, okay? Or put them in the corner. But the idea that we all need discipline, what happens if we don't have it? Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment... And this is key. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I love that. All discipline seems unpleasant at the time, doesn't it? It's tough to get up in the morning. If you, get, if you say, I'm going to get up tomorrow morning and read my Bible and I'm going to pray and I'm going to... It's like, also, the bed is really warm and I don't know that I want to get out of it. It's hard. It's like, oh, the air is like cold out there, and I don't want to get, go get into that. Um, it's, tough to, it's tough to maintain discipline. Oh, it's January, so everybody's going to the gym, right? So, okay, so, oh, I've got to go to the gym, and it's like, it's unpleasant there. It smells like rubber. No, one's, no one looks happy there. I don't know if you've noticed. Like, it's not, it's just like, oh, people are sort of grinding it out, just working hard. It's like, the, the discipline of that, it doesn't seem pleasant at the time, but what you find out is if you stick with it over time, it yields what, what the scripture says, it yields a harvest of righteousness. There's something good that comes out of this when you stick with this thing, when you've been trained by it. When you die to yourself, it will yield a harvest of righteousness, meaning it will make you more peaceful and more patient and more loving and more kind. And I would say that that self-denial, that discipline over time, will help you live in an island of sanity in the midst of a sea of crazy. So a practical step for this might be um, to think about this. What are your sins that, you need, to, that need to die? Make, make a list. Um, and then get real practical. What will you do to stop them? Maybe you need some accountability for what you look at on the internet. Maybe you need a journal to document your anger. Maybe you need to... Uh, 
get on an eating plan that's different than, than what you've been doing. Um, so self-denial means a little bit, to some degree it means dying to self is putting away some sins. But let's go deeper than that because it's not just sins. Number two, dying to self means setting aside some ambitions. Look at what Jesus says right after this, Luke 9, verse 23 through 25. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Jesus tells them to take up their cross daily, right? And that is, that is jarring. And then he says this thing like, if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll save it. Um, it's a little bit weird. What is he getting at? And, and, and I think what he's getting at, and other commentators have pointed to this, um, he's getting at this idea that if you make your life about your life, it doesn't end well for you. Like, there, there, to some degree, you need to turn away from making everything of you about you and make it about him, and then um, you're going to get other things thrown in, I guess. You're going, there, there's a better future for you if you will not just make your life about your life, make the goal of your life about your life. Um, because when we do that, it crushes us. If you make uh, it all about you, it will not work. Um, honestly, a lot of our quest of making our lives about our lives ends in the results that we're seeing in our culture. It ends in anxiety. It ends in depression. It ends in sadness. Our, our quest for all our dreams and all of our fulfillment and all of our stuff being about us, this doesn't end well. It doesn't end well for us. And I know um, we don't like to tell the story. We don't like to be honest about that. We like to tell the story that if you uh, are successful and you follow your dreams and you crush all your goals and all of that, it's going to be amazing. But listen to the people who have done it in almost every field, and you'll find out it's not necessarily amazing. We're all climbing a ladder because we think at the top it's going to be just paradise. And that's not necessarily true. Uh, one example I would give you um, is Tom Brady, and um, I'm a big fan, so before I disparage the man, let me just say I'm, I'm Team Tom mostly because he's the quarterback of my favorite team, uh, and so uh, th there's a lot of history there. But um, Tom Brady, you know, um, the most successful quarterback ever in, in, in NFL history, so in his field, he's reached the top, no, no question. Um, and... Uh, and, and he's, you know, if, if you want to do like the successful American dream thing, he's married to a supermodel and has a big house and kids and the whole, like he's got all the things that are sort of this fantasy thing for, uh, for a lot of people. And, um, and, and so ask him what he thinks about all that success. After he won three Super Bowls, he now has seven, after he won three, um, he was asked on 60 Minutes about it and he said this, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I reach my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think, gosh, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. Now, that was when he won three, he's won seven, maybe he feels differently, but my guess is, my guess is that that, that nagging doesn't go away. It's still there. You can reach the top and still go, is that it? That was it, huh? 
This doesn't quite, and, and, and you hear these stories. You hear stories of people who win medals and people who make CEO and get the corner office and all of the things. You hear these stories of people going, this just isn't what I thought. I, this didn't quite scratch where I itch. Um, because if we make our lives about our lives and our accomplishments, um, it doesn't matter how much you win. You're still, at the end of the day, going to come up empty. And Jesus comes along and says, lay down your life. Lay down that stuff, and then I'll save you. Make your life about me. This is how you keep your head in a sea of crazy. Don't make your life about your life. Now, I see this a ton in the, the uh, 18 to 25-year-old crowd, not necessarily in, in just in people that age, but, and I'm not criticizing, if you're 18 to 25, I'm not criticizing you uh, per se. What I'm saying is, what we hand you as someone in college and coming out of college, and this is our fault, not yours, what we hand you is garbage. We hand you just a hot pile of self-help improvement garbage and hope that you do well with it. We're like, be all you can be, go chase your dreams, shoot for the stars, we just tell you things and they sound pretty, and we hope they mean something to you because they don't mean a lot to us, but we feel like we should say them. And they, and they sound good to you because you've also heard them in Disney films growing up too. You heard this stuff, so you're like, yes. I'm in the working world now. I need to follow my dreams. I need to pursue my passions. It's empty. It's empty. We're, we're telling people, make yourself about yourself and then wondering why it's so depressing what are we doing to people? We're not challenging them to empty. No, one, no one's telling people at 22, empty your life and follow Jesus. Make your life not about your life. We're not telling people that, and maybe we should. Because the system we are handing people is driving anxiety. And I think Jesus was so wise on this. What difference does it make if you gain the whole world and give up your soul? What, what difference is that going to make to you? I love the way C.S. Lewis says this. It's almost a paraphrase of what Jesus says. Listen to the way Lewis says it. Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day and death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Nothing in you... Uh, look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him and with him everything else thrown in. I love that. So self-denial, dying to ourselves, is not just quitting our sins. It's giving up on some of those ambitions that maybe are actually holding us back. Now, I get it. Okay, I'm ambitious, there's stuff I want to accomplish. I, I, there's, I, probably if you asked me a decade ago, there's, there's a part of me that would have been like, I want to make a name for myself. Um, but most people make a name for themselves. Like, it doesn't seem to be that great anymore. I don't know. Like, a lot of people are making names for themselves in really bad ways. Um, but I, I just think as I get older, um, I, I just have this sense of like, yeah, I'm just not sure that's it. Like, I... I'm ambitious. There's thing, I, I'm goal-oriented. I'm motivated. I'm, 
I, I, I resolve to do things every year. There's things I want to see happening. But I, I just think so much of that success and ambition, all that, so much of it is so fleeting. They're not going to remember me. <laughs> like, I, I mean, think about this. Do you know the names of your grandparents? You probably do, right? You know them. How about their parents? Do you know their names? How about their parents? Do you know their names? How about their parents? Do you know their names? At some point, and maybe you have it written on a chart somewhere, but these are your ancestors, and you don't even know who they are, right? At some point, and it doesn't take long. It doesn't take long for us to be gone from the earth, and then people don't remember we were ever here. And I, I, I get that that can be depressing, but I don't think it has to be. Let's just be honest about it. Let's just be real about what are we doing here with the little bit of time that we have. Life is, as the scripture teaches, life is a vapor. It's a mist. It's in the air. And then it's gone. So let's be honest about that and, and, and make our ambition not just about our lives. Which is, takes me to the final point here is this. Dying to self means being for other people. When we die to ourselves, we are for other people. Jesus modeled this for us very well in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 7. Uh, listen to what he says. Do nothing, uh, Paul says this, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So being for and about other people, right? Have this in mind, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. This is really challenging to me. This is what Jesus did. He emptied himself. He could have played the God card. He doesn't play it. He empties himself, and he takes the form of a servant and serves other people. So when I say dying to self means being for other people, I'm saying we're, by, by doing that, we're following in the way of Jesus. This is literally what he did and how he lived. Uh, dying to self is giving up sin. Dying to self is giving up same ambition. But at a deeper level, dying to self is pouring ourselves out for other people. Now, what might that look like? This is where uh, maybe one of my favorite theologians, Dallas Willard, is very useful. Listen to what he says. Self-denial, or being dead to self, is the condition where the mere, get this, this is deep, all right, where the mere fact that I do not get what I want does not surprise or offend me and has no control over me, okay? I would highly encourage you to get your toddlers to memorize that sentence. <laughs> but adults too, right? Instead, we are easily controlled by the love of God and neighbor. Self-denial does not mean having no needs. We're not talking about being a doormat, right? But it includes looking to God and others to meet our needs, Jesus taught, love your neighbor as yourself and love one another. Our God created and Christ redeemed self is loved, which in turn strengthens us to deny sin and self-gratifications out of love for God and others. What would it look like to not get your way and you be okay with it? That's the question that I've been digging into. This is the hardest part for me of self-denial. This is where it goes deepest. Because what I can do is be for other people, but to do it in a way that ultimately serves me. Oh, I'll be for my kids, I will serve them, 
because it'll make me into a good dad. I can be for my wife. I can be attentive to what she needs and try to do that so that she thinks I'm a good husband and serves me. I can be for my employees and try to build them up and help them work well and do their thing and achieve and and, and be successful in their field so that I'm thought of as a good boss. I can show up for a friend and, and, and really be there in their time of need, and I can do it because they're in need, but I can also do it so that they consider me to be a good friend, and they might even tell their friends that I'm a good person, I'm a good friend. The motives get so tricky here, right? What would it look like instead of me being for someone else, which is ultimately then about me, but just to be for them, for them? What would it look like for me to show up and serve employees well because it's best for them, not just because it's going to help me. It's best for them. What would it look like to serve my wife well because it's best for her and not just because she'll treat me well if I, if I do it? This has been the hardest thing about it for me of dying to self. And I think there's something there. And I think this is why Jesus has captivated me for three decades. Because when I think I've got it figured out, it just goes deeper. And there's another layer and I think I've really gotten to the bottom of the thing and God sort of kicks out another floor and I've got, there's another layer of my soul that I need to dig down into. There's another room. So I would say, besides reading and praying, to, to stay sane in a crazy world, we have to be the people who die to ourselves and live for other people. Think about what that would look like actually in the world if we did it because i would argue we need more of it in this world does anybody does anybody get mad at someone who dies to themselves regularly are you ever like man that guy is so selfless i hate him you know are you ever like at work at like oh man she's always thinking about and helping other people she's the worst right no you don't we respect it We understand that there's something incredibly valuable there. This is the way of Jesus. So how do we get there? Three questions and then we're done. These are questions I want you to ask you. Maybe today, maybe sit down with them after you watch Tom Brady win again. Sit down. I hope I didn't jinx something. All right. Sit down and ask yourself these three questions. Number one. What is the sin in your life that needs to die? Maybe you could make a list. Maybe it's not even hard. If you're not even a Christian, you can probably think of things you're doing you don't like. Right? You can probably think of things that maybe are a little damaging to you or to others. What is the sin in your life that needs to die? Number two, what is the ambition in your life that is actually holding you back and needs to die? Again, I'm an ambitious person, but not all of it is good. Maybe there's something holding you back that's not necessarily a sin, but it still hinders you. What is the ambition in your life that is actually holding you back and needs to die? And then finally, who has God placed in your life that you can be for? If you look around your circle, who who do you know that you can show up for them, for them, not so it makes you look good? How, and then let's get practical, don't just write a name, oh, I could be for this person. How will you do that this week? This is a way to flesh out 
taking up our cross daily, denying ourselves, and following him. And I think um, it changes the world when we do it. It changes us, changes our relationships around us, and ultimately changes society when people get serious about this and do it. Let's pray. Lord, self-denial is not fun um, because cake is good and getting extra is good and, and there's a million versions of that in our culture. And so, God, I, I pray that we, um, we can be honest about where we sin, about where our ambitions are disordered, and about where our motives are messed up when we try to serve others. And I, I pray we go to work on these things. We haven't resisted yet to the point of shedding blood on our sin, but we need to go to war with these things. And I, I pray you help us to do that. God, this is, this is the way to, 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 keep, um, to keep our heads on straight. Um, God, I, I, I truly believe if, 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 we, uh, if we will practice self-denial, we'll be walking in the way that you've laid out for us. And we will be not as wrapped up and anxious about all the things around us. And so, God, help us to do that and be those people. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.